1: hey i'm brian hyatt and this is rolling stone music now today i'm going to be talking with phineas who is probably best known for co-writing and producing with his sister billy eilish that has been a pretty successful collaboration he's also worked with justin bieber and selena gomez and camila cabello among others and he is a solo artist his album optimist which recently came out is a really entertaining album and makes a case for him as a force in his own right as a singer-songwriter. And in fact, just a couple hours before we spoke, we learned he'd been nominated for Best New Artist at the Grammys, despite the fact that he's already won a bunch of Grammys with his sister. And in fact, he and Billy are also nominated for a bunch more Grammys for her latest album, Happier Than Ever. But we had a lot to talk about. It's a great interview. Let's jump right into it. Best New Artist is a category that maybe you didn't expect for your soul work. I'm curious how that... Hits you?
0: i um, surprised for sure. I've always felt <clears throat> more accepting of praise or achievement when it's something that I'm part of a group on, you know? Like, I think my sister's so talented that the fact that she would be nominated for something is a no-brainer to me, and then I'm involved versus, you know, my own opinion of myself. So, yeah, huge honor. And, the you know, the other people nominated for that, Olivia, Baby Keem, Glass Animals, Leroy, I mean, you know, all artists I'm a huge fan of, so honor to be nominated.
1: It's interesting because I get a sense that you, you sort of enjoy being a little lower key with your solo career, and this is not low key. This is as high key as it gets. So I wonder if this is disrupting your plans a little bit.
0: Yeah, I do keep it kind of low key. I am standing on the edge of the ceiling of where it is fun to be famous, and any further off is no fun. You know, I, kids say sweet stuff to me when I go out, and that's lovely. And and they come to my shows when I play them, and that's amazing. But otherwise, I don't. You know, it's not. I'm not a beetle. I don't get chased around the city. Um, I can go anywhere, and you know, it's really nice. So, so yeah, you're right. This, this kind of blows my cover, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> Does that mean you're officially rooting for Olivia then in this category?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm rooting for, <laughs> I'm rooting for Olivia in this category regardless. So, um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Optimist I think it's a really strong album I'm I'm curious what you're learning about the songs that you wrote from playing them live on on this current tour you're
0: on good question well I think I think it was it was mainly just so gratifying to do this run because you know without without a like a show to perform when you put out an album you're left with statistics and metrics you know you're left with how many streams each song has on spotify and the views on youtube and the reviews if you know if you read such a thing which which i i don't i've never read reviews of my my shit but um those things are very very uh unrepresentative really of what these songs mean to the people that are in your audience you know and so it was it was just a a really beautiful experience to to perform them live and you learn stuff about songs like we were there's a song on the album called medieval that I just hadn't put in the live show. It was like enough new songs in the live show already that I was like, we don't need medieval. And kids would bring signs that were like, play medieval. And so halfway through the run, I was like, time to put it in, man. You know, it's gotta be in. It feels a little medieval. If you ask me, like I'm watching a sequel. I've already seen, I could. I'm super glad we did It made the show even better. But yeah, I'm so grateful to all the kids for showing up. Most of the audiences, were fully masked. We, we made sure that everybody was like tested and va- they had all show their vax cards and everything. And so we, we kept it pretty safe. And dude, kids are so excited to be at shows again. It's just, it's the great energy right now. It's really exciting.
1: There's something so great about doing a concert six months from now live, I would imagine.
0: Your favorite band is back on the road and this fall they're playing. The Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, it's awesome. I opened the show with it, which is a super fun way to open the show. Yeah, I mean, that's a song that I've envisioned playing live for years. And especially when I was recording the song, you know, it was really like, you know, who knows if I'm going to be able to tour this album, who knows if, if touring will be back by then. So, yeah, it's just all sort of like this laundry list of like, how crazy and cool is this? You know,
1: you've got this unique perspective that that you're able to have on sort of the different sides of the music industry from, on the one hand, you're playing part of a headline act at Coachella or whatever. On the other hand, you're playing Urban Plaza. How do you kind of balance those two things in your head? Like there's these two different things of different scale and you're far from the only one. I mean, someone like Jack Antonoff has a similar kind of thing. It's an interesting way to, to see things from a lot of different sides, I think.
0: It's awesome. I would say that, The only area where I feel I might be, maybe it's not, maybe he wouldn't want to do it, but the the only area where I think I might be even luckier than Jack Antonoff is that I also tour with my sister, right? Like Jack, Jack is so busy that he can't go on tour with Taylor Swift for two years, right? That's right, that's right. But so I guess that area is so cool because I, I get to play arenas with my sister and then play clubs myself. And they're so different. Like the experience is so different and they're not better than each other. They're just really fully different. And the energy is different and the way you perform is different. So I feel privileged. You know, I just got back from this run where I was playing a lot of venues that I played with my sister in 2018 and I've missed those venues. You know, I was really happy to be back and, um, You know, and also it's just a a treat to get to play these massive arena shows and get to put on the spectacle that is an arena show. And Billy's out there on a a crane arm and floating over the crowd and stuff. It's sick. But um, that's where I feel lucky that I get to sort of live within both worlds.
1: You did so much revolutionary sort of arrangement stuff and Sonic stuff on When We All Fall Asleep that it could have ended up being sort of a, a burden in the sense that it set a template And that either everything you could do could either be defined by, oh, he's breaking away from that or they're too close to that. It feels like when I hear both your outside work and the latest Billy album and your soul album that you're not in that trap. So what was your kind of approach to not kind of be overwhelmed by that success and by what you created there?
0: I want to be here for a long time, not a good time. I don't want a short career. And I think to me, the the worst thing I could do is repeat myself. I think, you know, if you look at, especially within the lane of music producers, if you look at the guys who were the biggest and the shortest lived, it was the guys who had a really good sound and didn't change it. And I felt with Billy's album, like, wow, I'm so fortunate. People really like this sound. But I, I immediately felt like, you can't go down the drain of this sound. You can't you can't not evolve with time and evolve with the artists you're working with. And so that's always been the the sort of end goal to me is is not repeating my tricks, not relying on the thing that worked last time. And and most luckily I'm I my most predominant collaborator Billy is adventurous and daring and completely uninterested in repeating herself. And so right off the bat i'm fortunate in that respect when we made happier than ever shoot had no interest in making when we all fall asleep again and when i made my solo album i had no interest in making a billy album i was like that you know they're they're only valuable if they're you know unique so yeah i mean that to me is like you can't quantify a hit you can't quantify you know a better song than another song when you're writing it it's all interpretation it's all you know going to be decided by the masses but you can quantify uniqueness, right? It's like, you can be like, all right, this doesn't sound like this other thing. Good, you know?
1: It's funny because if you go back to Don't Smile At Me, which if people don't know, was the the sort of debut EP that you and Billy did. There's a lot more sort of standard, without that sounding insulting, but sort of standard arrangements, standard instrumentation. And then it was the step into the radical was when we all fall asleep, was there. And now you seem to... You've, you've found ways of bringing back some of the, the more standard stuff by making it interesting. I, I don't know how accurate you see that assessment <laughs> is.
0: No, I, I like it. I think, you know, you look at Don't Smile at Me and it, in a very literal sense, it's, it's two kids figuring it out. You know what I mean? It's like the first project either of us had ever made trying to make a project. You know what I mean? Like we were learning and doing our best. And I'm so proud of that EP. I was listening to it the other day and I was like really proud of it. Um, you know, and there's some experimentation on it. And then, you know, I felt like what really happened was we dug, a, we dug, we dug down till we tried to find water with that EP. And then with the album, we just dug way deeper. Like that was sort of the feeling I had of like, let's just, let's just keep digging. And I think happier than ever in some ways was like, let's dig the other end of this tunnel. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's find the light here. And, you know, because because I, I kind of think, like, with no disrespect or anything, like, the stage deeper than than when we all fall asleep in some ways is, like, masturbatory jazz, <laughs> if that makes sense. And uh, that's not, you know, that's not really my thing. I, I love listening to some great jazz, but it's like, you know, you like accessibility is a big part of what i do and it's like you get inventive it's like the last thing i wanted to do was make an album that was so inventive it's unlistenable you know it's like
1: there's an expression they used to use for that which is uh, a musician disappearing up their own ass you know (laughs) exactly (laughs)
0: that to me was like i never want to do that i never want to go to a like how many like like we forget how simple we are as humans i think i really do compare music to food to me my favorite album is very akin to like truly my favorite meal where it's like you know it's got a broad palette and it's exciting but it's also nutritious usually and it's it's stimulating right and then there's kind of like for lack of a better word like junk food music where you're like oh man this hits so good but it's not there's not a deeper meaning necessarily, right? It's just like a, it's a jam. I love the beat, whatever. And then there's like, you know, Michelin star, technically amazing, almost inedible shit, right? Where you're like, I understand that this is $6,000 worth of truffle, but like, I don't want this, this item on this menu. And I feel like one of the funny things about being a producer is that you, You can kind of trick yourself into thinking you have to listen to everything. And I I have always maintained that I only listen to music for pleasure. Like, I'll listen to anything once to try it out. But it's like, if I don't like something, I'm not going to, like, listen to it a million times until I, you know, sort of have, like, gotten used to it and adjusted. I'm going to trust my instincts and go, like, I see this thing's value, but I, I don't. It's not for me. Sorry. Sorry. It's not for me. And so that, to me, musically, is like... I'm always striving for that. I'm always striving for this sort of like trying to, you know, make a thing that that tells the story and is hopefully I'm articulate enough to, to put it across well enough and creative enough that it stimulates your ear. But it's like I'm never I'm never trying to alienate people. I'm not interested in not giving the people what they want.
1: I want to dig into some songs on the Soul album, but I did want to ask about Ocean Eyes because that is such... It's so fascinating to go back and listen to that now because it's such a pivotal point in everything for the two of you. It's interesting because your choice to take this song that you had written for your band and say, hey, Billy, maybe you should sing lead vocals on it, changed everything. And it also meant that you were making your sister the star in that moment. So it was a very... A lot going on there.
0: You know, to me, with Ocean Eyes, I feel like what was really true about that was that, to me, the only thing I've ever sort of, like, had kind of a ego around is, like, the song itself that I've made. You know what I mean? I don't really have... An ego around my self-image or my voice or like to me, it's just like the 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 sort of IP, the intellectual property of the song. And I remember doing Ocean Eyes as, as a band and just being like, "I'm failing this song. Like, I am not doing this song justice." And that's how I feel when I'm producing a song and I'm not, I'm not, I haven't nailed it yet. I feel the same way of like, I'm not, I haven't succeeded. And um, I remember hearing Billy sing it, like, before we produced it, I just said, can I play this on guitar? And the benefit of living in a small house is she'd heard every word of it being written, so she she knew it without having to learn it. And it was just like, oh, this is what this song deserves. Like, this is so beautiful in her register, on, in her voice. And So I sort of, there was no turning back from that point. <laughs> and that's kind of been the, we, we co-wrote everything on Happier Than Ever but on the first album, you know, there were there were other instances of that where it was like I wrote When the Party's Over and felt the same thing, had this feeling of like, this song deserves Billy on this, you know. And I'm I'm, you know, more and more fortunate as a songwriter. I get to write songs for people like Justin Bieber too. And, you know, it's it's the greatest privilege to hear something you've written be executed by like a master at their craft you know I, I sang the demo of, of Lonely the Justin Bieber song let me tell you you hear my demo of that song you're like this is pretty this is a pretty good song you hear Justin sing that song you're like this is a phenomenal song like it's like it's just the difference between a, an incredible talent you know
1: what if you had it all but nobody to call yeah actually I was going to ask specifically how that ended up in uh, Justin's hands
0: Justin commissioned it. Justin asked me and Benny to write for him. And Benny and I are close personally, and we've we've made a couple things together. And we just were, you know, we were hanging out at Benny's house one day, and we were basically talking about how lonely it would be to be uh, Justin Bieber. And, uh, you know, because most of the human condition and most of the human experience is built on empathy and relatability basically right you, you tell you tell somebody about a terrible drive you had and they tell you about the terrible drive they had last week you know and it's like he's one of a kind he's got nobody to talk about his life experience with that will relate to it really you know what i mean like it's just it's just unrelatable you know He like so unique and uh, and and that's isolating and there's nothing sort of more uh, more lonely than sort of true like isolation in your circumstance so it was an easy song to write
1: and since it was so specifically from his perspective did he have any lyrical notes
0: he didn't have any lyrical notes but i was like you know it's him or nobody it's not like the song's not he's not going to pass on it and we're going to give it to somebody else it's just it's only about him it's the story of his life
1: so to dig into some tracks on the optimist the '90s, which I really enjoy. First of all, it's, it's extremely funny that Radiohead in the '90s had that song "The Benz," where they said, "I wish it was the '60s." So you can just imagine a chain of songs talking to each other, you know.
0: Same deal. Yeah, I think we're always we're always, you know, the the future that we're living through is is and has always been scary, you know, and um, and we're not we're not even really having to do the scariest stuff. Imagine. Imagine getting on a ship and going to a continent that you've only heard about, you know? It's like, that's, you know, we're living in in easy times. You can get on a flight home if you want to. Sometimes I think about the 90s. I know that everyone romanticized it. To me, the 90s is a song about the internet and, you know, the metaverse in some ways. And the reason I was talking about the 90s is it's, I was born at the tail end of the nineties and you know, the nineties is like a, the most, our most recent time pre digital age. You know what I mean? It was like the last analog decade. And, uh, I'm fascinated by that and I'm hyper addicted to my phone and to the internet. And, you know, there are days where I'm like, you know, what do I do? Do I get this out of my life? But the truth is like, we live on it now. It's not, it's not like a cigarette or something. It's like it's actually part of the fabric of our social experience is the social media aspect of it. So it's not even that actualizable to get off of it. You'd have to if you got off of social media as a person who uses it, you know, the way it's intended where I'm in constant communication with people on it, it's like I'd have to I'd have to go through such great lengths to be in communication with those people in other ways. You know what I mean? I have to be like what would I have to be doing like writing faxes or something like it's like, I don't even know, you know, I have to be calling everybody all the time. And I don't even like talking on the phone. So it's, it's all a losing battle.
1: There's a moment in that song when this really deliberately obnoxious synth comes in sort of a dubstep EDM synth. And I feel like it it means something. What does it mean for you in the narrative of the song when that sound comes in?
0: I want to just be like chaos as sort of emotional and chaotic a sound as I could make just like a just like a blown out distorted crazy sound and uh, you know like a, like a release I guess was the thing you know and uh and that was where we that was where we landed but um it's been so fun live that's been a really fun part of the show hey waking up in an empty bed I'm only
1: capable looking my pillow. around my neck is a little bit of a departure. It sounds like it could be on another album altogether, super catchy pop song, a little bit of return to your synthy stuff. Did it feel like something very separate to you or, or how did it kind of, did it come separately from the rest
0: of the material? Um, no, it was, it. it's different in the way that it sounds, but I think on a songwriting level, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Like I think, you know, if I played it on an acoustic guitar, you'd be like, yeah, it sounds like the rest of the record. I think mm-hmm. it was just about kind of like, the way that that song was written, I wrote it on this synth called an AX60. Um, and I just was like, oh, this is this is fun. I like the way this, this feels on this keyboard. And it inspired the lyrics and the melody. And it's kind of retro. I feel like my stuff is a little retro. And even though that's electronic, that song feels like retro electronic to me. You know what I mean? It reminded me of like, you know, Closer by Nine Inch Nails or something in the production. So it was fun. I think
1: you've... At least tried to collaborate with Father John Misty. Was he a lyrical inspiration for you at some point?
0: I I spent one day with him. He's a I, I find I think he's a I think he's like truly like a philosophical genius. Like I think he's very brilliant and I love his lyrics and his sense of melody. And he has some of my favorite songs ever. I love his song Holy Shit. I love his song Mr. Tillman. I love his song Please Don't Die. I love Dumb Enough to Try. I'm a huge fan of his. And, you know, to me, he was a big... He was my version of, you know, what I think somebody like a... You know, a Springsteen or Randy Newman was for, for generations before me of a contemporary artist not only singing about love and sex. And uh, I love singing about love and sex, but I'm I'm equally interested in, you know, singing about, you know... the the world around me and he does such a good job of that and of having humor in it to me it's like the idea of writing a a sort of a social commentary song without humor is like sacrilege like to me is so silly that you'd write a song about the world and not want to be funny about it and so yeah huge inspiration for me
1: the kids are all dying feels like somewhere land somewhere between father john misty and maybe bo burnham lyrically
0: yeah yeah i mean that was definitely like How do I write this song about this way that I'm feeling of like, does anybody want to ring the alarm bell? Like, we should be ringing the alarm bell. Does anybody want to? Like, or do we just want to, like, party until we're at the bottom of the ocean? And I think the answer is that we want to party until we're at the bottom of the ocean. Like, I I really do. Like, yeah, I think we are, I think we are just like, fuck it. Like, I think that's the general sort of attitude about everything. And I hope I'm wrong. How can you sing about love when the kids are all dying? How can you sing about even in like the response to that song <laughs> live? It's been amazing, and I think a lot of kids do get it. But I think I have this feeling of like, yeah, I told you, I told you, you didn't want to hear this. You just want to, you know what I mean? Like, it's funny, man. I, I uh, yeah, I, um, I, I'm conflicted about it. It's important to me. It's, it's. I I you know it's what I think about the most but it's um it's not pretty it's not fun you know
1: hmm wait what are you conflicted about
0: I'm conflicted about having a platform and and ignoring all this sort of you know it's like we're not like songs that songs that were really big during like wars and stuff were about killing the opposing country that was like those songs were huge songs about drinking were huge and then love songs were huge and kind of everything else like nobody like like protest songs didn't really do that well like people were at war already like they didn't they didn't want to hear that stuff so it was like these kind of like brash my point being just like we're so busy living through it, we're using music as a balm. We want a release. We want to turn on an album and close our eyes and listen to something beautiful. And so it's like, it's tricky because it's like, as a songwriter, you write what you're thinking about. And what I'm thinking about a lot of the time is like, oh my God, we're not gonna be able to swim in our ocean in five years. And it's like, how do I sing about that without being sort of like intolerable? You know, that's what I mean.
1: Right, 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 right. I mean, it's interesting. It reminds me of the fact that Uh, when Billy first broke big, I think some older people were like, I don't get it, man, because this is the rebellious teen music, but it's so pretty and so quiet. It feels somehow related to that, you know, that, that people expect that it's going to be more of a noisy old school thing.
0: Yeah, man. I remember doing this one interview with like NPR or something. This must have been right after her album came out. And the person interviewing us was lovely, but they were like, these songs are awfully dark. Like that was like the thing that she said. And I was like, the world is dark as fuck right now. Like I was like, I was like, first of all, Billy's entire career has been under the Trump presidency, which was like the most horribly chaotic four years in American history in the (laughs) last 40. And then, you know, we'd be like in the middle of making an album and like 30 kids would be shot at a high school. Like it was insane. It was like an insane, insane, period of time to make positive music you know what I mean it's like so I just was so kind of like incredulous that I was like she was like what's you know why is this album so dark and I was like because because it's it's a dark time I don't know it was it was such a no-brainer to me and uh yeah I think people are funny about that stuff it's like it's just reflective artists art is always a mirror
1: do you ever think about Billy Eilish the artist as sort of a band that encompasses the two of you or is that the wrong way to think about it
0: I never do because I I believe in the power dynamic of a individual leader personally I think that compromise can be good but I think artistically compromise sometimes is a slippery slope to nobody being very happy with it and if Billy and I are making something and I disagree with her one of us has to win and the reason one of us has to win is that clear vision has to come through. And what will happen is we, we make our case, we disagree, and we just sit on it like an egg. And after a while, you go, let's just do that. Because one of you surrenders. And it's her, it's her name, it's her music video, it's her face, it's her clothes. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's only right that you put out the song that you're 100% happy with here you know, I voice my opinion. And sometimes, you know, down the road she she goes, I listen to it again, I changed my mind, I like your way better. And we'll we'll switch it. But yeah, I've always thought of it as Billy Eilish, you know, and I'm helping. I'm all I'm helping to execute it, you know. And I have I have ideas. I come up with ideas, but it's like it's all in the name of of Billie Eilish's music to me when it's when it's her project.
1: What kind of notes uh did Billy have on the Optimist when you played it for her?
0: Uh, I didn't, I played a four when it was mastered.
1: <laughs> really? Wow. So that's a, that, that's a deliberate decision, obviously.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, uh, I'd be honored to make some solo music with her at some point, but in this album's case, I, I just locked myself in a room and made it alone.
1: Was there anyone then that you would solicit input from, you know, other musicians or Benny or somebody who, who you would kind of play stuff for and, and get input? Or is it really the idea that it's, it's, it's your brain
0: <laughs> alone? I really didn't. I really, I, I, no, I just, I just made it alone and finished it and played it for everybody. And uh, I think the reason I did that more than, more than any other reason, here's why I did it. I'm a pretty tough audience and it, it takes a lot for me to think something is there and I, you know, I'm also producing all these other artists, so I have that brain too of like, you know, is this done? Is this not done? And I think sometimes, especially at the beginning of my career, if I sent something to my team and it was halfway done, sometimes they'd be like, "Wow, this sounds great," and I, I'd, I'd be like, "Oh, maybe I should be done. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Maybe it's done." And I, I was like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it done." And even, even I, I signed to to enter this album as. Put out under interscope and, and the album was you know i think the album was mastered by the time i played it for interscope it was like you know wow. i said here's you know and it was kind of awesome because they knew what they were buying you know what i mean i i liked that more than the sort of theoretical you know i'm gonna make an album do you want to sign me of like i was like here's the album like in a box here it is do you like it do you want to you know distribute it and um yeah, I mean, and and I, I like the A&R process in general, and I think my next album I'll probably make more of a collaborative effort because that'll be what's exciting to me now that I've made this one alone. But I really enjoyed making this alone, and I made it sound exactly how I wanted it to sound, and that was really exciting.
1: Yeah, a soul album that really deserves a name. That's cool. I, before I forget, what did happen in the one day that you went over to meet with Father Domeste?
0: He came over to my house, and we... We, we sat in my back patio and he smoked like 600 cigarettes and we just made each other laugh. And the thing, the thing that, (laughs) the thing that made me laugh the hardest that he said, this was back in 2019. I hope he doesn't mind that I'm saying this, but the thing that made me laugh the hardest was he was, he had a cigarette in one hand and he was wearing his like red sunglasses and he goes, how come we live in a society where... If you don't watch the fucking Avengers movies, you're not a patriot.
1: <laughs> that sounds about right.
0: That yeah, yeah. made me laugh so hard. That was so funny. He is, he is, like, hilarious. A hilarious guy. And he he really has pulled the plug on social media. Like, he hasn't been on social media in, you know, I don't know, two years. And doesn't do any press. And, I you know, I'm impressed. I, I admire it. How much thought, how much discussion,
1: if any, have you devoted to uh, to Billy's third album so far?
0: A bunch. We're really excited to to start working on it. Yeah, we're we're we we've been we've been doing the sort of um, I don't know what the right word is. Like we've got the net in the ocean, and we're we're picking up detritus, and then you sift through all that and you pick out the treasure, and then you have an album. So it's a uh, it's that kind of like broad we're on the clay wheel. We've just got like clay on the wheel. But I'm really excited. We got I think we've got a lot to say. So you've got songs but you're not sure if they're good that kind of thing. No, we have like we have like skeletons. We have like interesting skeletons and we're not sure what animals they are.
1: <laughs> the tour, the big tour is supposed to start in February. Is it possible you could get another album out before February?
0: Well, I mean, I think even if an album is done by February, you know this tour is is this album like these will be oh, we've played some festivals but we haven't done billy headliner solo shows you know and we're really excited to play happier than ever on the road so even if it's in the can by february you know we'll we'll sit on it up for a little bit cuz i like letting projects breathe i feel like i feel like especially with this last album it was 16 songs it's like you know you don't you don't want to step on the toes of an album like that you you make your stuff mean less i think when you do that
1: The Billy tour is obviously long awaited. What thoughts do you have about how you're going to present all that?
0: I'm stoked, man. I mean, we, we got three shows into the one, we all fall asleep arena tour and it was, it was a blast, but you know, we just have twice as much music now. And so we get to build, you know, a set I'm that much more proud of now. The most fun thing about putting out multiple bodies of work is, is just um, stacking the deck in your favor and, and, you know, instead of playing, like, a whole album, you play, like, the best songs from that album and then the best songs from this other album and then and then the sort of fan favorites that might not be, like, that commercially successful, but they're a, a ballad and kids love them or whatever. So it's, you know, even these festival shows have been so much fun. And we made this second album, you know, when we made her first album, we were making that first album for Coachella. Like, literally, I was, like... When we were making Bad Guy, I was like, this is going to be an awesome show opener at Coachella. And when we made the second album, I was like, Happier Than Ever is going to be the dopest arena closer. Just the crazy ending.
1: You did everything good Always said you were
0: Man, it's been so fun to, to see that. At these festivals like Gov Ball and Firefly, it's like ending our show with Happier Than Ever has just been like, Everything I wanted it to be. It's been so fun.
1: Are, are you thinking about expanding your backing musicians lineup or anything like that?
0: I assume it'll just be the two of us. You know, the, her music is is minimalistic enough that between a drummer and me, like we're we're actually playing everything. I think if we were going to bring more musicians, we'd we'd have to bring a choir because that's the only other thing that's like there's just so many layers of vocals, and uh, and that's you know that can be achieved in in backing tracks. But like our drummer, you know, if if our drummer or me put our hands down and started to drink water, like, most of the song would go away. You know what I mean? You'd be like, whoa, 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 what happened? Like, it's, uh, we're playing kind of everything. Yeah. And uh, and so I think it'll probably be that. You know, it's it's also like, to me, the show is like, I love rocking out on stage. I know that she loves having the two of us in her band, but it's like, her show is so compelling that she could have no band on that. You know, there's like these, the visuals that she designs are incredible and the lights are incredible and her stage presence is is very MC like to me, you know, she's really so engaged with the crowd, so you know, I think we we allocate budget to the the sort of you know, things that support her versus like things that would take away from from her, which is like more people on stage.
1: The last tour ended so tragically and, and dramatically. I mean, I remember that that Madison Square Garden date was looming right when every in the world shut down and it was sort of like, Oh God, are they going to play that? Cause that's not a good idea. And then it, it then it, it went along with everything else. And that was it. It's wild.
0: Yeah. Well, we were, we were in this horrible predicament of <clears throat> basically having to wait until the government shut down to shut down our tour, which was crazy. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're checking the news every day like when are they going to declare it unsafe to hold these mass gatherings you know what i mean it's like it's not so much within your control if that makes sense you know you kind of want it to be but it's like you know so yeah we that was cuomo there was like the tri-state no more mass gatherings in in the state of new york announcement and that was when we were like all right we're going home um but yeah devastating it's devastating and then you know Also devastating because I'm kind of a pessimist. And so, you know, you got to remember at the time it was, it was, we canceled the rest of the dates in March. We were halfway through March and it was like the next two weeks are canceled. So we'll see you guys in April. And I remember thinking like bullshit. Like we are, we are not coming back in April. But even I didn't think we weren't coming back for two years. Like I was, you know, at the beginning I was thinking the fall. I was thinking, you know, Five months at home is is plenty, but yeah, it was. You know, I'm grateful that we had the opportunity to make her second album and put so much love into it, and um, and I'm grateful that, you know, man, I, you know, these shows that I just got to do, I've never had more gratitude for the experience, and I know Billy felt the same way doing these festivals, and you know, even on TikTok and Instagram, it's been so fun to watch Harry Styles' arena tour happen, and and um, I, I couldn't. The truth is that when we went on her arena tour, as much fun as I was having, I was pretty burnt out. Like, I could have used a month off. If COVID had been four weeks, like, I would have come back and been like, that was refreshing. And when we start her tour in February, like, I'll just be so grateful. And um, I don't know, it's like everything, man. You know, on this past tour, I just did, I, I had a lot of back pain and I had... I have, <clears throat> I have some canker sores in my throat right now, which sucks. But all these things that you suffer from just make you grateful when they go away in a way that you weren't prior. And um, there's value in that, <laughs> you know. Totally. So I think um, from a philosophical standpoint, you know, we, we, were, we were so lucky. We didn't lose our loved ones to COVID and we didn't lose our jobs to COVID. And so... I have to be philosophical. Other people don't have to be philosophical. Other people suffered so much and they can they can feel frustrated and furious, but I have to be philosophical.
1: And finally, in our last couple minutes, I mean, when you talk about aiming for a long career and when you think about the multiplicity of things that you do uh, as a producer and a writer and a solo artist, are there role models you can look to for that long career?
0: Yeah, I mean, I want to have a, I used to have more tempered... Uh, tempered is the wrong word. I used to have more specific sort of like, I just want to have Pharrell Williams' career or I just want to have Rob Cavallo's career or Green Day's career, something when I was, you know, 15, 16. I think now I've I've gotten a taste of how much variety is in the world of music making and how many aspects of it I love. And so... I don't have a specific role model as much as I just have a million different inspirations. And you know, you talk about like you know, I find uh, I find John Janick and Justin Lubliner at Dark Room and Interscope incredibly inspiring. And I would love to be involved in artist careers on the development side. I find writing music for TV and film to be incredibly inspiring. I'd love to be involved in that as much as possible. I love being an artist. I love being a producer. I love being a band member. I like acting, too. I would love to do some Broadway in the future. Um, I think I think to me it's like, wow, lucky me. Can I work hard enough now that these now that these doors are open for me to just do all this fun stuff? You know what I mean? Like The truth of it is just it's really fun. And you know, more so than some kind of world domination thing that someone might kind of think it is. It's just like, come on, it's they're, they're so much fun, you know? And I'll, I'll give you an example. Management seems like a fucking drag to me. I wouldn't want to be a manager ever. Like, that doesn't look fun to me. I'm glad my managers get satisfaction out of it, but it's like, I'm here to have a good time. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. So I think that to me is the the end goal is just how much can I do because I'm lucky to do it. And that's our show for today. Thanks again to Phineas. We'll be back
1: next week here on Sirius XM's volume channel 106. And in the meantime, of course, Rolling Stone Music Now is a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Seriously, that is really appreciated. But as always...